This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audible.com slash MIB for a special Michael Ian Black interview with Bob Odenkirk. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're covering Season 1, Episode 4, entitled Hero. These first four episodes, this is kind of the capper for me, where I go, okay, I'm hooked on this show now. Uh, the first four episodes have been a lot like Tableside Guac to me. <laughs> like, I'm sitting there, I'm watching them squeeze the limes, I'm watching them mash the avocados, slice the onions... And I'm thinking, man, I want, I want that. I want it to be good. I want it to be in my mouth already. Sure. And this was the episode where I saw those pieces finally coming to fruition. Like with his brother and Slip and Jimmy yeah. and all that stuff at the end of this episode kind of comes together in a really satisfying way. Plus, it feels like this show does work better as a kind of low-stakes comedy. I think so, yes. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Although I like the, the high drama elements, too. No, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but even then, it's like, I don't know. This is the first episode where Jimmy wasn't, like, physically threatened. Okay. And no one got uh-huh. bones broken, and no one had guns put in their faces, and it was the most fun episode. I think there's something, there, there's definitely something to that. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I like this episode a lot. And, like, the pace, I thought the pacing was great. I mm-hmm. thought the reveal at the end was... Um, marvelous and it was so well foreshadowed throughout the episode that when you watch it again in retrospect it's like obvious what's kind of going on um yeah i really i i really like this episode i thought and then just i thought the end of the episode was when you know he got the seven phone calls on his answering machine yep i thought so too but his brother chucks uh it's glorious landing on (laughs) omaha beach (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> segment of getting the newspaper next door was uh, side splitting i thought the way thought they so filmed too. that um, and then it's it's fucking tragic when he sees the paper and he goes oh god slipping jimmy is back like all of the setup with him in the prison or him in jail like saying hey help me and i promise not to be slipping jimmy anymore it's all coming back yeah it's all coming back around and in a really good way no, I mean it's some of the, the best comedies are able to milk laughs and then genuine human emotion and kind of like give yeah. you that full experience. And I'm looking forward if this is Saul's future, it's pretty bright. I thought last episode was starting to round into how I can see this yeah. show going forward, mm-hmm. and the fact that we didn't completely forget about Mike, but we yeah. just got the right touch of Mike in in the right yeah. type of relationship trajectory for these two. I was extremely gratified to see because it must be tempting just to put Jonathan Banks and everything. Sure, he's good. He's real um, good. You know, so I, I I was really happy with it. All right, why don't you tell us who we owe the pleasure to? Uh, Colin Buxey, which is a former UK director who came overseas and has had a very successful career uh, directing Miami Vice. Wise Guys, Sliders, Nash Bridges, a bunch of NCIS, mm. uh, Breaking Bad, 
He also did several episodes of Fargo last year, including the six ungraspables and Burden's Ass, which of course is the famous whiteout snow sh- snow scene. Yeah, great episode. Won a primetime Emmy award for outstanding directing in a miniseries for that scene for that particular episode, episode. Burden's Ass. Nice. So, um, and I thought this looked amazing. I continue to be really impressed with the nighttime photography mm-hmm. and the nails that like that nail salon is a, so shitty at, in the day, but it's so awesome at night. It's really great. Um, It was written by Jennifer Hutchinson, and she's best known for her work on Breaking Bad. She, in fact, has won two WGA awards, Writer Guild Awards, uh, in 2012-2013 for seasons four and five. Hmm. And she's also written for The Lone Gunman and X-Files, which puts her in the Villa Gang. Yep. And she's also written for Mad Men, Star Trek Enterprise, and Grey's Anatomy. So all stars all around, award-winning, highest echelons of their respective careers. Yeah, it pays off. And it really crackled. Everything mm-hmm. everything really popped in this this episode. All right, recap time. Saul educates uh, some guy, some guy, just a guy he met on the wolf brain. Before we get started, I just also, I thought that this was a great myth-building episode. Like, it explains so many interesting things. It got the Saul Goodman name. It introduced mm-hmm. his first billboard, which he yeah. later becomes famous for and his advertising campaigns uh-huh Inter- you know it just really i felt like it really bridged the gap between slipping jimmy and saul goodman sure and in a lot of ways i found it super entertaining in that way too now let's go on three cap okay uh so he's educating some dude on the wolf brain they find a wallet with a bunch of money in it and they also find the dude whose wallet it is passed out uh they wake him up long enough to uh call them buttholes <laughs> <laughs> and he passes out again. Saul takes the watch, and the other guy says, no, 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 I want the watch. Uh-huh. That's, that's a nice watch. I'll trade you the cash for it, plus a little bit of my own money, or all of the money he's got on him. And then we find out, oh, that was a scam, where Jimmy and his friend go back and hang out, smoke some weed, drink some beer. That's a lot of work for $550, $560. It seems like it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you have to spend a whole evening because you got to find your mark, you got to figure out if they've got money mm-hmm. and, and all that. You still risk. That's why he says, you know, it's beer money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, I imagine each each season or each evening, there's a critical moment where the guy either goes for the scam or he doesn't. And and like if it were me in that situation, I wouldn't want the watch. I would want the cash. Sure. Because I don't know where to go to sell a watch that. Like go to a pawn shop. But if you're I the guess, type of like, dude that's like moderately well healed enough that he's running around with five, six hundred dollars in a nightclub, he might want the Rolex just straight as a status, up. Status, yeah. And then you could always pawn shit, right? Sure, you could. I mean, you could pawn the thing for three times what he gave Jimmy for it. Uh, I guess so. But could he pawn the thing for fifteen hundred or more, which is what he's giving up there? Yeah, and that's that's a bit iffier. Man, I don't know. that's I don't like know. half the price so of what he Rolex said. So Rolex is like forty five hundred, five thousand dollars. I mean, I think. depending on depending honestly, on the. Honestly, I have no idea it. how much a fucking Rolex costs. It could be a Rolex, a, a Rolex, Rolex is pretty cheap. Rolex is what Those, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, the Rolex is definitely the brand. Rolo- yeah, Rolex is what he was. He was actually uh, taking off the guy's risk. A Rolex. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, a Rolex could be ten grand. I, I don't know. Could be. And I'm sure there are versions of it that are. Sure. Uh, you know, Rolex is a brand. I'm Get sure they the, have many different For the king of Saudi Arabia, that edition's like a million dollar time yeah. piece. Yeah, or, you know, Paris Hilton's. Uh, so there's a building here, 
And Paris on... Hilton wears a Rolex. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, come on. She wears diamond encrusted. She has a diamond encrusted dog collar on her her little Chihuahua. Mm. She's she's got money. I don't know if you're aware of that, but she has money. I guess that's true. Her, even though she is kind of you know no talent and has hit Skid Row, yeah. her dad still is exactly Hilton, so yeah good point good uh point. the building here says cicero m-e-r-c i think it's mercantile mm. uh i was wondering about a, that because I, I was trying to puzzle out what that could be yeah it kind of gives us uh you know a, a placing of the events here mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because um i'll talk about this more later probably but i guess bob odenkirk did a lot of uh Growing up, a lot of uh, comedy stuff before his professional comedy days in yeah. Cicero. He was born Illinois. just outside of Cicero, and yeah. he came up through the Second City uh, comedy troupe. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, he's he's. It's amazing how much they're putting of Bob Odenkirk into Slip and Jimmy. You're right. Yeah, uh, I like seeing that stuff, and I like. I yeah, I mean, it feels legit. He knows that area. He kind of knows like how people, and he sounds like a guy. From uh, you know the suburbs of Chicago, right? Okay, he's got sure. that very unmistakable, particular brand of Midwestern dialect that the Chicagoers have. Yeah, native Chicagoans. Sure. Uh, my favorite line, probably of the entire episode, is in this scene where the guy says, "I'm going to buy the building. I'm going to fire you both. I'm going to say, drop your mops, you <laughs> buttholes. Drop your mops, buttholes." <laughs> Oh man, this guy was com. I was cracking up this whole scene. I was too. There were a few scenes in here where they just really got me. When he was doing smoke on the water with buttholes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really funny. Uh, Do you think it was originally asshole and the censors like that's too many assholes? I think butthole is funnier. I think, but- yeah, 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 totally. Butthole's funnier. Uh-huh. So, uh, I was debated like for dick in the box on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. whether that's originally supposed to be cock in the box. Because it's more mm-hmm. of an internal rhyme. Mm-hmm. But then, like, if they had to change it to Dick in the Box. I don't know. If we ever have Justin Timberlake or Andy, Andy Samberg on sure. the podcast, we'll ask him. Uh, speaking of the forums, because we just were, obviously, mm. uh, James on the forums brought up an interesting thing about this scene, which he he identified this scam. He called it a pigeon drop. Um, and I guess it is the same thing that is done at the beginning of the sting. And he's he's right. Uh yeah, it's it's, a, it's roughly the same thing. You know, sure. some you give somebody money or they think you're giving them money or something mm-hmm. valuable where in fact you're actually taking money from them. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's a lot like shortchanging someone I think. Sure, yeah. I've um, worked I've worked retail and been like downtown and stuff and I felt like I've been I've been scammed once in my life while I was traveling abroad. I have too. Um and it's like once you do, um, they all kind of have the same feel to them. Oh, I've yeah. warded off at least three or four other attempts where I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, uh, yeah, I see what you do and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and it's all it's all fun and games because like if you call their shit, there's like you know it's like okay, whatever, I'll move on to a different mark. Yeah, so I, I like seeing the reference to some of these older. Uh, you, you know, obviously, Villigan is a big cinemaphile. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he throws in kind of these heist sort of things or these sure. caper films from the past, I love that. Uh, also, there's another point he notes. The ID that they pull out of his wallet mm-hmm. says the name Henry Gondorf, which is actually Paul Newman's character's name in The Sting. Ah, so direct connection there, just relating sure. the two things. That's really cool. And there was a blatant pop culture reference when they're talking about Spartacus. 
with Tony Curtis. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, with the ringlets. A, another yeah. <laughs> another movie reference. So it's like we're four for four for pop culture. I, apparently so. And I love it. I like. I like. It's. It feels like this is a good blend of like Odenkirk and Villigan's mm-hmm. backstories and passions. How early in Saul's career do you? Or sorry, Jimmy's slipping. Jimmy's career. Do you think this is? It's obviously in the past. He's got the mullet hair going sure. on. Is it before he gets arrested? Yeah, is it after? Because be. I, I, I gotta believe that after that was when he transformed into Jenny McGill, attorney at law. Okay, that, so that he went straight after that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And I, I could buy that. The brilliant thing about this introductory is it's our first hint of like this is what this is what we're going to do. Um, the thing he does with the billboard is the pigeon scam writ mm-hmm. large. Yeah. And that's yeah, great. So, it's so br- it's such a brilliant hack on human nature. Um, you were surprised because we uh, the first time we watched it, I was actually the second time I watched it. And I mentioned that, like, I realized I knew it was a scam, obviously, the first time I watched it through. But what I didn't, I suspected that it would it um, I suspected that he had thought of the scam um, at the end, like like when when he didn't have any media attention. Yeah. I did too. I, I actually think now that he planned this scam from the very beginning. The whole thing from the billboard to suit was all engineered to get this one awesome free commercial. All it cost him was admittedly a seven, several thousand dollar suit and uh, a, a billboard. <laughs> sure. But that's way cheaper than having his billboard featured on a two or three minute segment. The whole thing there in the background yeah. with the call and the phone number and everything while he's talking about what a hero he was. I mean, it's really... Really brilliant. Sure. Uh, uh, what are your What are your supporting pieces of evidence? We'll go through as we, we go through the okay. episode. I'll, I'll I'll kind of like it's the second time when you're watching um, Sixth Sense, the Sixth Sense, yep. and you're looking to see if some of these things were all internally consistent. So that's yeah. the first. Like there's, I think that this is a parable for us to understand the yes. episode as a whole. Yeah, and I thought that was just a great way to construct this episode. Uh, we go back to the Kettleman campsite where we left off last episode, and we pick up pretty much right there. Uh, Jimmy's talking with the Kettlemans. They try to bribe him uh, to not say anything about the money On the after title se- he tries to become their lawyer. I'm going to jump back to the title sequence. It was yeah. f- uh, Saul's uh, famous drawer of phones. Yes. Surprised we didn't see a Hello Kitty one? Uh, hmm. Yeah, a little bit. I thought that would have been some nice fan service. It would have been. Maybe they didn't yeah. have it. I don't know. I it's is it weird that they're showing these kind of very obvious Saul Goodman things in these previews or in these uh, title sequences? Nah, no, I actually like it. It's very trashy. Yeah, but okay. I guess at the end of this series, that will all make sense. And I guess mm. if you're a big Breaking Bad fan, that all makes sense. I continue to hear tell of people that do did not watch Breaking Bad or sat out for Breaking Bad and are watching the show and enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering. Like those title sequences an, don't. It's certainly an edge case. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, no, I don't have a problem with them. I think I actually did. I thought I was underwhelmed by them, mm-hmm. but then I remembered how basic Breaking Bad's credits were, oh, and yeah. like the, this is kind of like a kick upwards, and they're short and they're trashy and they feel kind of Saul. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm kind of all in on them. Wish we saw the Hello Kitty. Okay. I wonder if they'll revisit some of these and we'll get the Hello Kitty eventually. Uh, maybe. Maybe so. Uh, so they, they mentioned the man in the van here. Uh, I, I really think that's going to come back to haunt Jimmy. I don't think that 
Nacho believes him when he's saying, you know, uh, you were sloppy and you're the one that kind of caused this and uh, I didn't call. Or he doesn't directly say I didn't call, but... Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think there's a debate to be had there. But that's... I, I think the fact that they mention it twice in this episode means that it's going to be more than... Yes. It's not settled yet. I think you're right. I think... I Yes, I... Obviously, he's not done with Nacho. I mean, sure. <laughs> that, I, I I don't think that's too controversial. Um, mm-hmm. How it's actually... My big question is, did he earn enough respect in his dealings with Nacho? Uh, I mean, obviously, he's not going to be in threatened of his life seriously because that would violate causality. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, did he do enough to impress Nacho from a legal perspective that he becomes the Levy-esque criminal lawyer that becomes famous for that, or that's kind of at odds with the fact that he's got this hero billboard that he might be getting a lot of legitimate calls about. True. And that, you know, like you said, this on this rock I build my church, I, 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 which of these is going to win? I mean, long-term clearly criminal a lawyer. Long-term yes. criminal lawyer. And is sure. that going to, like, does he have... But he's also seeing, you know, the, the people about their injured necks and car and I think, accidents. See, that's, and... the, to me, I always felt like Saul Goodwin's a front. Like, he had the legitimate slip and fall and uh-huh. criminal defense and all that stuff. But he's also kept this Rolodex of special preferred clients uh-huh. that he was making the big bucks for. And he was laundering. I mean, we kind of saw yeah. him doing that. Now... What I'm curious about, number one, the Kettlemans are all assholes. Like, I suspected that, but this episode, beyond a shadow of that, they are the worst type of white-collar criminal asshole. This is not Bernie Madoff. Of, this is Enron executive. Not out of line with where Ted is at, in my mind, from Breaking Bad. Ted? Ted is slight, is, is a bit more sympathetic, I feel. He's just more... Barely. But yeah, when he goes right. when he goes and he takes that money and he buys a car, fuck that guy, man. But don't you think he does it? Maybe I give him credit because I think he's just dumb. Ted always struck me as he a is, dummy, a big a dummy, bit, a little bit of a dummy. These yeah. people seem smart but cruel, and and very right. just. Instead of just being like, "Well, you know, I bought a car because I, you know, I've always had a nice car." It's more like mm-hmm. more calculating. I don't know. There's something about their. I think you're right. Yeah, banality of evil that rubs me more the wrong way than than Ted did. Sure. But what what do you make of it when they say you're the kind of lawyer guilty people hire? Do you I think, think that right? That that certainly contributes to Saul or sorry Jimmy doing what he does this episode, right? Like yes. saying, "Fine, if that's how it's going to be, sure, sure." I'm going to have the, to buy into that a little it's bit. The, I'm this. You want me to be the bad guy? I'll be the bad guy. You yeah. need me to be the bad guy. Say hello to the bad guy. Sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's not exactly Mr. Chips' Scarface. It's Slippy Jimmy, <laughs> Slippy, Slippy Jimmy, Slipping Jimmy to Scarface. Having trouble talking. That's right. Um, do you think we had one emailer, which I'll talk about this in more depth in the feedback, but I thought so too. They make us believe that he took this bribe. Yep. However, is it not possible that he has got some kind of double secret retainer? Like that we weren't privy to a conversation. They cut from that. Like we could go back to a flashback and see him really put the screws on him. And he's like, God damn right. I'm a, a attorney for guilty people. And you're guilty. You're guilty <laughs> and you fucking need me. I'm the only one that can get you out of this stuff. So it's like, here's what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. we're later going to come back and go full circle on this. It's possible. Would you I, feel I don't think that's where they're going with this, but I I wouldn't be up in arms if it happened. 
I was just thinking that the if he's laundering money, which is another part of the myth building part of this this episode, I thought this kind of cool like intro to the money laundering yeah, 101. Yeah. And it, it also tied into Skylar White's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, thank you, Mr. Johnson. Oh, a deluxe car wash package with the rim job? Yes. And she's like inventing this stuff. It's like yeah. very parallel. Um, Saul, man, Saul eats a lot on the road. But That's all I can say. <laughs> $40,000 in cash. Yeah. To launder through just miscellaneous legal expenses, mm-hmm. I feel like that 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 might come to bite in, in ass because that kind of sloppy bookkeeping is kind of thing that will not stand up to any kind of serious scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like Ted's books. Sure, uh, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not going to have receipts, but it's also kind of hard to to say that that's a real problem like to pinpoint that as oh he couldn't possibly have spent that much I don't on know, 40 this grand in cash um depends on like if he entered it all that night yeah that's a problem if he enters a few grand here but if a, it's few a grand stealth there, bribe that's actually like a retainer fee somehow and he's mm. like because because i just wonder if he doesn't have a kettleman account and that this is actually going to be legit like they would swear to it being legit for consulting i don't know so i i I think that there is enough of a door open that I certainly wouldn't feel screwed over if they turned yeah. around that he is got them under some kind of double secret retainer probation thing. All right. I'm with you. Uh, the the look on his face there, though, when she tells him you're the kind of lawyer guilty people hire, he's crushed. He's yeah, like, man, he's do good, I have that face? Is that seen, me? We've seen <gasps> him be a good, resourceful lawyer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he pulls up to the parking booth and asks Mike if he's heard about the Kettleman's being found. He hasn't, so Jimmy tells him about it and then tells him, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. Uh, setting up maybe some cooperation between Mike and Saul later on. Yeah, and again, very smart to just tease Mike. I love Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan Banks in this scene, it's like he barely opens up his mouth enough to let the words roll out. Uh, it's like, well, can I be blessed I mean, it's... <laughs> it's I, I love his performance. I... I feel like being able to level gazes at people the way he does professionally must be a hell of a skill. Mm. Like, like imagine walks... being his waiter and like, you know, <laughs> you've overcooked his steak. <laughs> and he just looks at the steak and looks up at you and looks back at the steak. He cuts it open. Yeah. Shows like, you the inside of there's, it. There's no pink there. <laughs> like it's like you don't have to you don't have to say anything. He just does it with his his fucking eyebrows, man. Yep. That man trout face. Uh, then Nacho's released, and he is suspicious of Jimmy. He thinks Jimmy might have been the one to warn the Kettlemans. Uh, Jimmy dresses him down for being sloppy on the stakeout and walks out of there thinking he won the day, and he might have. Ballsy. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, he's not done a Nacho. I don't know if he's done a Nacho into the... Uh, Nacho's going to grab him and put a hood over his head and drive him out to the desert again, which I'm hoping not. Yeah, because it didn't work that great the first time. Mm-mm. Or if he's not done with him in the this guy is actually a hell of a lawyer, boss. We should start throwing work his way. I hope so because what Jimmy said was all factually true. Like you're, uh, you're maybe smarter than Tuco, or that's what our opinion of it was. But you did a lot of stupid things, a lot of stupid, obvious things, and underestimated these people. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Then he goes, uh, counts his money, gets it into the books, um. Then he goes and he has a suit tailored. He gets his hair dyed and uh, styled. 
And I, I didn't know what was going on here. I'm like, okay, he's getting a new persona. He's sprucing himself up. That's what I thought. With he was using this money to improve himself. And I thought like we were going to cut to the strip mall, and he was going to have the. I did not expect the billboard. M- me either. But when, <laughs> so when he's at uh, HHM, he uh, Kim calls him to invite him to a movie and dinner, and then Hamlin comes in and says, "Hey, let's take a ride." And what he shows her is the billboard. <laughs> Where he's basically just copied HHM style, and uh-huh. man, it's it's spot on. It's perfect. Sure. I mean, he's got the suit, he's got the hair, the shitty little knit tie that uh-huh. was so popular back in the mid nineties. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, so he must have had it dyed and styled, and then dyed right back, right? No, I think he photo. They said he's going to Photoshop it. When he found oh, he, out he dye, photoshopped the color. When he That's found right. out the dye was, yeah, yeah. was permanent, he was going. He wanted the style, but he photoshopped the color. Okay, yeah, you're right. I, I thought there was a lot of subtle things um, in the staging of this. So when he goes to get this suit tailored, I mean, clearly this place is a notch above. Like, this ain't SNK. This isn't the men's warehouse. Mm-hmm. But it's also somehow seedy. It looks like it's in a strip mall. It's the blinds right? on the front. The blinds on the front are really weird. Plus, They're just like the, strip mall blinds. If, if you look at the door to the manager's office and the trim, it's just there's yeah. something cheap and strip molly about the whole experience. Do you yep. think that that was just the them doing the best they could with the locations they had? Do you think that's supposed to imply that this is like the lowest rent place you can? plausibly get a suit of this caliber that's probably like he's it. called around yeah. and like do you have uh, a super 100 tasmanian wool how much does it cost mm-hmm. click do you have super what <laughs> he finally found one that's got the price that he can can slide in at and comes in there and gets it sure gets it I, could, I could buy that yeah i could go either way but i felt like that they were trying to tell us something just like you know he's getting his hair fixed at the salon that <laughs> the nail salon sure he's going to that equivalent of you know, you can't get your nails did at Supercuts. It's not Supercuts. That's that's what S and K Warehouse would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 the local yeah. nail salon. No, I'm with you. Uh, Jimmy's giving himself a foot bath at the salon at night, and Kim shows up. But oh, yep, Kim calling him, uh-huh. wanting to talk to him. Obviously about dinner the case. And a movie. Like Is that? Like a did that feel like a legit date? Kind of did. Yeah, kinda threatened to be a date. Uh, certainly she wants to talk about the case, but at the same time, dinner and a movie. A movie is not somewhere you talk about a case. Sure. You can't. Yeah. Dinner, maybe. Yeah. But dinner and a movie together, that is a date. That is a date. Hard to argue. Yeah, so she shows up. Especially uh, if you don't qualify it as, like, just for friends or anything like that. Like, if you... Sure. Dinner and a movie, no qualifications, that's a date. (laughs) Uh, she delivers a cease and desist about the billboard, uh, Kim tells him not to take it personal and that he can't win this fight. And Saul says, yeah, I'm not, it's not personal. I think this is one of the first clues that we get that, cause, cause on your first trip through this reads as just him being, it's bravado. It's him being ballsy. But a second trip through the way the yeah. look on his face and the complete neutrality, he's like, no, you, you don't understand. It's not personal. This is business in the strictest sense of the word. That I'm manipulating your boss. Yeah, sure. Uh, That that to me, the first time read, uh, Saul's kind of oblivious as to this being super personal for him. Mm. Like he didn't want to admit that it was personal, or he's kind of shining her on. Sure, it's like a very Han Solo Princess Leia relationship. Yeah, yeah, very cavalier, very 
I don't know. Which, you know, until they kiss in the bowels of the Millennium Falcon, you don't know if it's going to... You really don't know. It could go either way. They could true. They could kill each other, or they could fuck each other, and you don't know. You don't know. Yep. Uh, Jimmy and Hamlin then argue they their need, cases. They need their scruffy little nerf herder moment. I guess so. Uh, Jimmy and Hamlin argue their case before a judge in her chambers, and the judge tells him to take down the billboard within 48 hours. Uh... Yeah, this is where, second time through, it becomes very apparent. He couldn't possibly have thought that he was going to win this. It's an obvious case. That's why I'm thinking it's a scam from the beginning. He was hoping that he would get a major news outlet to be there, so live on camera he would rescue this guy. Yeah. But he settled for the New Mexico. At least he would have the footage that he could then. It's like, no one cares about his story, but if you've got found footage of this heroic rescue attempt, hell yeah, the major networks would take notice of that. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. This would get. This is the kind of shit that would make it on CNN and MSNBC. Unfortunately, on yes, a, <laughs> on a slow news day, which is a lot of days. Most days with the twenty-four hour cycle. Sure. Uh, Jimmy calls news outlets. He tries to get his his case run as a story, and none of them are taking him up on it. And then he sees some girl in a UNM sweater walk by, and this is where I thought he got the idea. Like first time through, I was like looking back on it i'm like oh okay that's where he understood because then he goes directly and he gets the the unm students that he hires to film mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um i guess that was him just kind of pivoting on his plan after not getting any news any real news attention yeah and again i think it's always his plan to have his buddy fall off the scaffolding yeah yeah uh but this was like him thinking on his feet like oh well i haven't i don't have a network doing it so how can i do it myself as cheaply as i can Hundred bucks, you and in, it's a done deal. Yeah, I also liked. Did you think that there was any like wink, wink, nudge, nudge stuff between Bob Odenkirk and Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould in this scene where you've got the talent having opinions about the direction? Like, is kind of good natured ribbing commentary on their relationships because <laughs> Bob uh, Odenkirk maybe? has directed shit and sure. produced shit and wrote shit. All three of these guys have done each other's jobs. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, is is that, like, something that they all had a giggle about in the writer's room? Probably. probably. I thought, I read it as that, too. It's a little bit of inside ball. Like, yep. I don't trust you to get the shot right. Let me see it. And, you know, Could the be. use of stand-ins, all that stuff. So he gets halfway through his commercial. The guy falls off the platform on the billboard. And Jimmy climbs up and saves him as the crowd gathers. Uh, turns out it was a scam. You know, he gives him a little high five there. Or a low five. I don't even know what you call that. Uh, turns out so that's what's like. So where did you? What exact moment for me? So I it was it was the 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 handshake sort of thing. I said, as God is my witness, and Cecil will back back me up on my first time through. As soon as he fell off the billboard, I'm like, oh my god, Hmm. this was a fucking scam. All right, Uh, that's pretty observant. Several emailers did not like were. Not even sure it was a scam after the first time. I think that this is like a very good example of George R. R. Martin's three-step reveal. Like, you know, first step is you lay the clues that it's kind of like, you know, um, Bruce Willis not being able to open up a red-handled doorknob. It doesn't mean anything the first time through, but it's it's supporting evidence the second time through. Second is, you know, you, you tell someone that a very sharp observer, you, you lay something a very sharp observer would would observe. The third reveal is, like, for everybody. Like, average intelligence or lower, mm-hmm. like, I'm telling you what's happened so no one gets left behind. 
And I thought that, like, there's very little currency with that when you come to, like, books and movies and video games because everyone experiences experiences them asynchronously. Okay. You know, so it's like, that's what thing, one thing that Martin laments. He's like, you know, this three-step reveal is ruined because on the internet, you know, there'll be one person whose life Is that why he's not writing books anymore? Probably. Is that why he can't finish Game of Thrones? Probably. That and... and Sorry, his, Song of Ice and Fire. That and his billions of dollars. That, <laughs> his green cash throne, his, his cabbage throne that he sits upon must generate endless distractions for him. Mm-hmm. But um, he laments the fact that, you know, as an author, that's the fun part, putting in those little clues. And now if one person in the fucking world gets it... Everyone gets it simultaneously, and everyone Unless can, can claim to be can claim to be geniuses. Um, sure. So I feel like that. That's like I've noticed that people really get invested in making predictions and calling official predictions, and people have a lot of fun with that. Mm-hmm. But live television and like sports are the only two things where you can make predictions, and they have some cachet. Mm-hmm. Because if you call a shot before the shot happens, you're a fucking genius. Stock market's another good one. Well, sure. If you <laughs> if, that that has the most cachet pref- of all. I prefer to piss up a rope and, and stick with television. That's where you earn your cabbage throne on the stock market. That's predicting true. The stock market. That's true. Yeah. If you're a Warren Buffett, you can do that. But yeah. uh, no, I, I think that it's interesting that live television. A lot of people have that because if you're the one, if you're in a live thread, and at the time the guy falls off the thing, or before you can say this is a scam, you look like a god. <laughs> sure. Uh, do you think these are the guys who film his Better Call Saul commercials, who end up filming those things? That would like, be this interesting. Is establishing this a relationship. I, I thought that the way they cast these guys, I like these guys a hell of a lot more than the big, tall, the the twin okay. ginger towers, the skateboarders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would totally be fine with that if they become his official camera crew and we see them two or three times a season. Totally yeah. fine with that. Okay. Uh, I, what I really liked about this episode is, you know, I I said it kind of in the beginning, the way it, it brings the history that we know so far of Slip and Jimmy into the modern day, the, the, the current Jimmy. And this is kind of the scene where I, I pieced all that together and was like, oh, okay, this is Jimmy. Yeah. This is slipping. This is Jimmy using Slip and Jimmy to his advantage, um, which at the end of this episode, it comes back and it bites him, I think. Kind of. Well, I think it will. Like, I think Chuck knowing that he's doing this again is going to be a problem. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Cause, uh, yeah, obviously it's a problem personally for him, but I wonder. Yes. Yeah, okay. No, probably not professionally, but we'll see. Uh, Jimmy makes it all over the TV and Hamlet is worried. He thinks it's a stunt, but Kim is uh, pleased. People love a hero. Especially Kim. Kim, you know, was going to go on a date with this guy. And, and she's impressed. I, I think she is. She pieced it together. She said, she's slipping Jimmy. She's looking at Jimmy and she's seeing Kevin Costner. <laughs> it's the makeup. It's the makeup. <laughs> it's the curls. Uh, Jimmy checks his messages in his office and he has seven of them. He's yeah. never had this many messages. He's never had any messages. No, he does the same phone routine where he's like uh-huh. trying to summon the gods of <laughs> f- leads. If this doesn't work, what does what does Jimmy do at that oh, point? Oh God, put a gun to his head. Probably like that yeah. would be if if I almost thought it was going to happen. <laughs> like is Vince no Gilligan this big of a fucker that like, he does all of this uh-huh. and it still goes over like a wet fart? That would be <laughs> the most depressing, cynical thing in the world. It would, but be. I would dig it. 
And I, I wouldn't respect, put it past Villigan. Yeah, I don't that know. I don't right know where alley. he goes from there, but that would be That's kind right. of that would be awesome. <laughs> but no, he gets the seven messages, which yep. honestly that seemed kind of low. Like that kind of commercial. Yeah. It's this seems like it would get you thirty calls of congratulating you at a boying, let alone the leads. Yeah, probably. So Well, you know, it it wasn't too much uh, later after that, that he, I mean, it was the same night, right? When, like, when I, when it they, wasn't in the paper yet, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was on TV. Yeah. Cause in his first phone call was like five forty five, which is probably like minutes after the call. And this yeah. is, yeah. So he's only, that hasn't had the 11 o'clock showing the next day. It's got it in the paper and it's a big yeah. picture of his billboard. I mean, this is so, this is probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of the advertising. This guy's getting It's a lot of exposure. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's great. I thought when they went to commercial at this, that this was the end of the episode and it would have been the perfect end. And in fact, when we came back, I'm like, oh man, they're fucking up the, they're fucking up the pacing. Hmm. Gonna go back to visit Chuck. And I was wrong. <laughs> Boys and girls, I was wrong. This next scene made the episode, I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, the next day, Jimmy sees himself on the cover of the newspaper and he stashes it uh, in his trunk. He goes inside to his brother's house and says, hey, I got all these meetings. Uh, and he asks, where's the paper? Hold on a second. Where's the paper? Something Seppenwall mentioned that I think we might have mentioned in the first podcast. This leaving your wallet and your watch and your, most importantly, cell phone in this mailbox unprotected outside mm-hmm. is going to be a problem before the season's up, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Hamlin even uses that against him. Ham or Jimmy he uses knows it against, about it. or Jimmy uses it against Hamley. You're right, and they established that Jimmy could lure him to a meeting with Chuck and get his cell phone. Sure, it could go either way, but they both know about this procedure. And Hamlin's not a dummy. That's the thing. Yes. Like he's made to seem a buffoon, and he kind of is, but he's not stupid. Yeah. So I could see him out because he outmaneuvered Jimmy and the, the pilot mm-hmm. badly with that stipend. Yep. So yeah, I I'm really curious to see how this. The, some of these checkoffs boxes and stuff work out yeah and that's the thing i i noted like oh this can't go well this this battle is going to be just that it's going to be a battle mm-hmm. between them and i i'm really hoping that that continues to play out because it's one of the more interesting things about this series is many guess guess but it is pretty entertaining sure yeah and you know we might later on down the road get a gus walt caliber deal sure uh anyway so he goes inside but his brother's like where's the newspaper he says oh yeah it wasn't out there and then uh he acts like it was all his hard work that paid off here um and chuck seems to be pretty pleased about that until he goes outside to get the newspaper and he sees oh jimmy is actually uh the the hero (laughs) this scene man is like <laughs> I, I said Omaha Beach, but it's kind of like. Do you remember the Pierce Bronson movie Volcano? I do, yeah. And like some of the ridiculous set pieces of having to like canoe through a sulfuric acid mm-hmm. lake and uh-huh. drive over an active lava yeah, doesn't, field. Doesn't his mother jump out and get <laughs> dissolved in that lake? Doesn't she? I'm pretty sure we she does. She jumps do, out. She has to push the boat. Dude, we ought to do a live watch of some of these 90s era disaster movies. Oh, Early aughts. Volcano. And, uh, what's the Tommy Lee Jones one that came out at the same time and is basically the same thing? Or the Nick Cage uh, uh, <laughs> end of the world one. 
There or, are so many of them. Or the Edge. There's or, like Deep or Impact. The Dennis Quaid, The Day After Tomorrow. Armageddon. Yeah, Deep Impact, Armageddon. Uh, there are so many of them that just came out back to back to yeah, back. Yeah, it's like people want to see New York City and Shanghai get fucked up. Let's do this. Then Michael Bay's like, we'll do it with the pyramids and Transformers. Man, the Tommy Lee Jones one is going to get me all day. I'm going to be thinking about that. Yeah, no, oh, I know what you're talking about. There was one called Volcano and another one called... It's almost identical. Yeah, it's like a super crater in the middle of L.A. Yes. And the, oh, there's that and horrific scene. And the La Brea scene. tar pits are burning. There's a horrific he's scene. He's got to jump the, car to car. The firefighters getting <laughs> melted in that tunnel. Coming out of the subway. Yep. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> yeah, what true. was that? Ring of fire? No, no. It was one word, and it was a disaster type word crater hole no oozing uh, lava snatch <laughs> yes that was it tommy lee jones and oozing lava snatch uh so yeah i but but no it's like the fantastic. way they filmed it with the tin foil cam of the blanket uh-huh. like and just like and the overexposed like jumpy nature of it all and the, the power and just, everything's assaulting him and then they sh- the thing that made it is when they showed it from his neighbor's perspective and the sound yeah. just dropped out and it was just a guy acting insane in the street it's stealing her newspaper. Stealing <laughs> her newspaper for $5 in a silver blanket. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I l- was laughing so hard. No, it's great. It's great. But oh, God. It's so great. But then they bring it back around, and it is all drama at the end when he sees the photo on the front page and realizes that Slipping Jimmy is back. And when he cuddled into his tin foil like it's just too much at the end, it was yeah. simultaneously funny. And depressing. And yep. poignant. Uh-huh. And it's like I said, when you can nail that, when you can nail that kind of tone, man, uh, you know, yep, hat, hats off. Thoroughly enjoyed this episode. So do you think that this is going to destroy the relationship or just strain it? Do you think maybe this pushes oh, Chuck was... more toward Hamlin's side of the thing, and yeah, that causes problems in Jimmy's? I was trying professional to figure this out too because because and... Jimmy. You know, it could be that one of the themes in Breaking Bad, I think, after sober analysis, although I'm not sober right now, probably I'm probably too not sober to do feedback, but we'll see how this goes. Um, I feel like the one of the things, the statements is that you underestimate the people you love. And if people only had the courage to talk authentically and to be an authentic mm-hmm. person around the people you love, everything would be better. And you could see Jimmy, like, he was, at the beginning, like, his brother telling him to change his own goddamn name is unconscionable. Yes. is a betrayal. It's Certainly. a betrayal of blood, mm-hmm. which is the worst. I should know. Um, but, so, I think, and, and you can hear Jimmy running through, like, well, you know, Chuck is just showmanship. Yeah. That's, I... You know, Jim, Chuck is going to judge his brother, but I also think if Jimmy had stuck with that line and be like, this guy asked me to change his name. Yeah. So I used his own pride and his own arrogance. Like if he didn't, if he just took this in stride, I would be out several thousand dollars and I would have no voicemails. But because he's such an outrageous asshole, mm-hmm. he rose to the challenge and then I beat him with my cunning and my guile. Mm-hmm. Who knows what older brothers think of that? Like, who knows what is the moment where your little brother gains respect in your eyes? Mm-hmm. But that is a possibility. But it was kind of heartbreaking to see Jimmy just completely reject that and be like, nope, there's no way. Yeah, that's going to work. That's sure. essentially what he said. What yeah, did you he, think? Uh, no, so I, I, I agree with that. That's interesting. Um, I felt like he was trying to 
do that in a different way, though. Like, yeah, he rejected the idea that he's going to he's going to be pleased with that straight up. But if he can spin it as, oh, I did all this hard work, like you said, and I'm I'm reaping the rewards that might have earned him some respect from his brother, too. Yeah, if but he never found out. It's about the it. Breaking Bad situation. The fact that the lies are so transparent. Sure. That even a ball, even the truth, a bald faced truth would be more effective than a transparent lie. Yeah. And, I, you know, I I don't think that Chuck goes out for that paper because he thinks something is up. I think he goes out for it because he just wants the nah, paper. No, you're crazy. I think no. No, I, I don't think so, man. I didn't see anything in that scene that told me you don't he's going out he there because like, he thinks something is up. I, like when he's when Chuck said yes, because today's youth just love local journalism. I, I think that the jig was up about right there. That could also just be a sarcastic comment. I get it, but to, you know, you gotta say that he had plenty of reading material. Um, that but he's really also a very brother, fucking neurotic guy who is going to say, I need my local paper. You're right. I fucking need it. You, that's, I can't argue against that. <laughs> I'm saying that my first and second viewings, I read that as okay. he wanted to believe his brother, but he braved the assault of the <laughs> electromagnetic radiation yeah, yeah, yeah. to go out there and prove his suspicions wrong. And then he was crushed to find out. Because that's the thing. Like, well, what does he, that say about Chuck? He didn't get the he's, newspaper and just sit down and read it. He's, he was frantically looking through every section, and then he stopped when he found his brother. I think that's the clue. That tells me that he was wanting to confirm that he was wrong, and he was crushed to find out that he was right. That this I, was I his thought it was on the front him. page. Though. No, it was like on the D section, the metro section. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. That's just not how I, how I read it. That's uh, not good enough, Jim. It. I need you to say that I was 100% right. Never going to happen. We're not going to move forward to this podcast until I get 100% right, guarantee. <laughs> All right. Well, Who I blinks can, first, motherfucker? I can sit here for a while. It's my house. I mean, I'll... I'll <laughs> I have to go I'll home to eat eventually. Pretty comfortable I have to here. pick up my kid at like 3.55. Yeah, so I, you can I win by default, yeah. The only loser is the listeners. I win by attrition of time. <laughs> uh, I love this episode. I had so much fun with this episode. It was good. It was real good. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. Even Walking Dead was up. Uh, Justified was a, a lot of fun last night. Banshee was fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping the Americans doesn't shit the bed. I'm wanting the I'm wanting the perfect qu- week. A quadfecta, quintfecta. Well, it's tough with Walking Dead. I, I mean, Parks and Rec wrapped <laughs> up last night, which I haven't seen the episode mm-hmm. yet. I'm gonna watch it tonight. I'm just like having such a high. I'm on a television high. All right, let's do a little bit of pimping. We have kind of a special message from Audible this week. Mm. They've got a new show that they're promoting that is exclusively available on Audible. It is a show from Michael Ian Black. It's called How to Be Amazing. And it's an interview show where he talks to creative people, kind of goes over their history and says, uh, how did they get from being you know, creative and kind of doing their own thing into being what he calls creative forces of nature, who are like helping other people be creative and inspiring people. Um, And one of those interviews is Bob Odenkirk himself. Uh, We listened to it the other day, and I thought it was really good. He goes back all the way to the beginning of Bob Odenkirk's career. A lot of stuff we talked about, his Cicero background, Second City we got from that interview. And then Saturday Night Live, uh, all the way up to Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, He he covers the whole gamut here, and it's a really interesting interview. And His, His career at Saturday Night Live? Which I thought sure. was super fascinating. Which is at times uh, abrasive, at times sure, uh, elative. I don't know. Yeah, Bob's his own guy. He is, and I was surprised at 
you know, the candor with which he speaks in interviews and kind of his no, if his you liked, somber and introspective attitude. If you like Xandy Greenwald Grantland interview where he kind of got real oh, yeah. um, and talked about comedy like as a, a, a kind of an art and a science, this mm-hmm. this interview and this series of interviews are great for those kind of insights. Definitely. And I, I mean, these other interviews are not quite as interesting to me because I haven't really heard of these people before. Um, one of them that I'm sure everyone has heard of is Elizabeth Gilbert, who uh, is the creator of Eat, Pray, Love. I'm certain everybody knows that. I've heard the book. Um, and then they also have a Tony Award-winning lyricist, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and then an 18-year-old girl, Tavi Gevinson, who is the CEO of Rookie Magazine. <laughs> I don't know what Rookie is, but apparently... If you're an 18-year-old girl, you would. If if, if I was an 18-year-old girl, I would definitely know that. Uh, so yeah, if if you want to check out this show, and I suggest you do, it's at least for that Bob Odenkirk interview, it's really good. And Michael Ian Black, you've seen, you know, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. He was uh, starred in a uh, television show, Ed. He's been on a few episodes of Mark Maron's show. Um, he's kind of like yeah. one of those comedian personality types. When you see his face, you know who he is. Exactly. Like I was like, who is Michael? E-? Oh yeah, oh that guy. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, he's done a lot of stuff for college humor. He's he's, he's uh-huh. one of those types that a guy like Bob Odenkirk uh, would respect enough to get to this level with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of those interviews, you can go to audible.com slash MIB. Men in Black. It's not a Will Smith production. No, but Will it, Smith didn't do no. a platinum a single for this. No, Missed no. opportunity. That stands for Michael Ian Black, <sighs> in case you hadn't put it together. Uh, yeah, audible.com slash MIB. Uh, you can check that out. You can download the first four interviews as one big episode and kind of skip through the chapters there really easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suggest you do that. Well, let's keep it going in feedback. All right. Well, the listener's going to bring us down. There's this, oh, okay. There's, it's in NF. They're, they're, no, they're no Peter Gould. Uh, <laughs> hey, Haddon P. I feel like I'm a Bostonian talking about my erection. I got a hot, got a wicked hot and pee. Oh my god! Uh, first of all, I see Mike becoming the Jesse of the series, as in Mike's rise to power will be the B storyline. I would like to see how Mike gets dragged into the underworld, especially with his skill set and given his age. Perhaps he needs money for his granddaughter. I'm not sure she's even born yet, though, or something, and she he is forced to do some shading dealings. I think I forgot to talk about this. I think that Kim could be a solid B. Yep. Or, or like, you know, the thing that we care about. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that they get into bed, but I could see when he made that passion speech about why are you doing this? Why are you working? You're better than Hamlin. Mm-hmm. I could totally see them opening up a public defender office together. Yep. And her being the angel on his shoulder that's always trying to fight the devil that is his own internal nature to make a buck and to be slimy and sleazy. Yeah, and also... And her bringing out the best in him. And her being something to raise the stakes for Saul, for for Jimmy. Like, she's not in Breaking Bad. Yeah. So we know that their relationship in some way comes to an end. Mm -hmm. Um, But she, you know, her being picked up by Tuco and Menace is a whole other level. For sure. Than Saul getting picked up and menaced. Yep. And I, I I think, sure, Mike could be a good beast candidate, but I would like to see Kim. I think it'd be fun to see Kim and Jimmy McGill open up a law office trying yeah. to do good. I think so, too. That'd be awesome. Uh, or he, trying to bring down Hamlin. Like, if they join forces against Hamlin, that'd be great. Um, now, 
his point about his granddaughter. How old do you think his granddaughter was in, say, the Hungry Hungry Hippo episode of Breaking Bad? Mm, seven or eight. I was going to say the same thing, which I think, if I do the mental calculations correct, is right around the time where she'd be about zero to two years old in this time frame. Yeah. Okay? His Her birth could motivate because that's the thing we've wondered like how does mike get involved in the underworld like he's a former cop he's down on his luck but he doesn't seem to be an evil man he doesn't seem to be dirty what gets him in bed with a gus fring what gets him in bed with a saul goodman his granddaughter could because we know he'll do about anything with a granddaughter except for go to jail okay <laughs> you're right you're right he won't go to jail uh-huh. uh he will abandon her in a park and rather than go to jail sure uh, I I don't know. Um, and see, that's that's the kind of nuance I'm interested in. This man, like, who, who is the who's the butthole who menaces a zero to two year old? Drop your well. It's like it could be wow. That, what if she needs like uh? What if she has like childhood cancer? All right, she's in a children's right. hospital, and her parent. It's, it's needs- basically Breaking Bad on in a small scale. Yeah, and he takes a job to pay her medical bills. All right, all right. I don't know if I want them to go back to the cancer well. No, I think that was fully explored. But in I'm Breaking saying there could but, be other things. But yeah, I get where you're similar. Coming from. Similar. Her mom and dad mm-hmm. is in trouble, or they're, they they they're going to lose their house because of a bad investment. You Gambling know? debt. 2002. Or, that was when yeah. the economy was kind of like people are losing their shirts in the stock market bubble and the housing bubble. There's lots of stuff they could do, and we know Vidligan likes that kind of light social commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the fact that they can add nuance because one of the biggest problems is a lot of people are like, there's no fucking way Mike would leave his granddaughter in that park. Yeah. It would be interesting if they fill in some context that would put some nuance in that scene. And they Mm -hmm. can do that with this show. Sure. Like, that's this show punching way above its weight, but I can see them pulling that off. And, man, that gets me really excited. Uh, Speaking of Mike, I saw something on Reddit the other day where great email hodden yeah very good hodden p uh on mike's it's been six hours called emergency room ma (laughs) take me to boston boston what's the boston hospital boston Uh, mercy i got a hodden p (laughs) oh my god (laughs) all right uh so on on mike's chest on his uniform there's the name of the security company that he works for yeah uh, or the parking company and it's smq what do you think about that? Oh, my God. Get the <laughs> fuck out. Really? Yeah. Saw it on Reddit. <sighs> Agent Gomi confirmed. I, I guess so. Yeah. If, I mean, that's at least a nod to Stephen Michael Quezada. Yeah, he will. He will. He will worm his way onto an episode. I would assume so. Yeah. That that that. Yeah, he, he will. He will go and talk to. He will take. If Vince he has Villigan to go to hire zinc. out a billboard, he'll take Villigan out to zinc <laughs> in his role as you know one of the movers and shakers, the copper syndicate. They'll mm-hmm. clink, they'll clink copper mugs together, and they yep. will work out a walk-on cameo for him. Probably so. I guarantee it. I like that little nod, though. That's cool. All right, thank you. Uh, moving on to Matt F said, "Hey guys, uh, I think you might be overcomplicating the issue of Jimmy to the Saul transition. I believe the basic timeline has already been laid out by the current show in Breaking Bad, and goes roughly as follows: uh, Jimmy gets in trouble with the law in Chicago, and Chuck goes and gets him off. Uh, in return, Jimmy agrees to follow Chuck back to ABQ and work in the mailroom of Chuck's law firm. This is mentioned in the conversation in the parking garage below the firm between Jimmy." And the female attorney whose name I forget, Kim. I'm there for you, buddy. Okay. 
Uh, Matt continues, while working the mailroom, Jimmy gets his law degree via, via correspondence classes with the Shady Law School. We didn't talk about this, but oh, he yeah. actually has a sweatshirt that says University of American Samoa. Uh-huh. Which implies that he already, like, so after that, he goes to American Samoa to get well, a degree? Well, my question like, is, so, like, if you go to, is Amer? I don't know about these for-profit and shady universities, like sure. University of Phoenix. Uh-huh. Do you buy a hoodie for that? Like the American Samoa, I, is it the type of ho- is it the type of college that you, if it's a mail order college, do you get a a sweatshirt? Does that come free with your diploma? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know enough about it. But anyway, like uh, like, do people buy ITT? Do buy, people buy Lincoln Tech sweatshirts? I imagine you can. I I like why right. not? But right. no one I know like has in the one. same way you could theoretically buy a bald move T shirt. But sure, <laughs> but no, who would? Who? What's <laughs> but the nobody point? Nobody does. Yeah, like we don't encourage it. Certainly, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> but he has one. That's yeah. significant. I think. Um. Anyway, where was I at? Uh. Yes. While he's working in the mailroom, he gets a degree from a dubious. Shady law school. He passes the bar and quits the mailroom to open his own law practice. All while working in, also while working in the mailroom, Jimmy strikes up a relationship with a female attorney who likely was into his somewhat bad boy background and general charm. Oh, you know, he's got the wolf brain mm-hmm. going. Yep. Jimmy practices law unsuccessfully for a while from the back of the nail salon. His brother has a mental breakdown and has to take a leave of absence, which brings us to the start of the series. Jimmy becomes a more successful criminal attorney. The events we are currently watching. As Jimmy becomes more successful as a shady lawyer, he legally changes his name to Saul Goodman as a marketing gimmick. He does this because of the parenthetically anti-Semitic stereotype that Jewish lawyers are especially crafty slash sneaky. Mm. Um, if you do some Googling, you'll find many hip-hop lyrics where rappers brag about being able to afford Jewish lawyers to get them off their crimes. All right. <laughs> Where does racism end and bragging begin? Because I feel like that in Hollywood, it's in kind of like a joke that the agents and the producers and everyone enjoy that everyone's Jewish and everyone's kind of crafty and everyone, hmm. you know, it's like you want a Jewish agent, you want a Jewish lawyer. Um, Jews represent a disproportionate amount of the Nobel Prize winners. I'm not like I don't subscribe to the articles of zion and all that bullshit like i don't feel like i'm a racist but well that's what racists say uh (laughs) (laughs) i don't have any jewish friends so i can't even do that close that's the thing like i have i have no context for this like i'm not in hollywood i'm not in law and she was like embraced all those stereotypes and was kind of weirdly proud of them okay and like so like if you're if your racial stereotype is you're super smart powerful you have a lot of money and you also value education highly. Is that a negative? Like, you know what I'm saying? This isn't Irish people get drunk, her, her, her. It's like your people are brilliant legal minds and successful but, but the, movers and shakers. But, but what about the, you know, certainly the, the connotations of intelligence and uh, successfulness are not negative, but... Like, I'm sure there are a lot of Jews out there who are not successful and are not smart. And, and also the sneaky. That's the thing. The, where, sne- the sneaky part, yeah. I think that's... Like, like, I think that if you said that Jewish lawyers are a gr- good lawyers, you could stop there and be ahead. And I, I apologize if I'm being offensive. If I am, please let me know. Um, that's how I learn. But I just often sure. wonder that. Like, you know, 
some of this stuff, it seems like it's acceptable to joke about and talk about openly in circles which are Jewish. Yeah, I mean, so I think part of being a good lawyer is being able to argue a case persuasively and also being crafty. I don't know if that ties in with Jewish people. Like, I, I don't know any Jewish people. I don't think people. crafty I don't... is pejorative. Crafty seems like you're smart. Like, like you know, the whole... Yeah, like a problem the, solver. Or like The a... idiom that, like, if the facts are on your side, argue the facts. If the law's on your side, argue the law. So, like, that doesn't... Sure, that, that sounds uh, dishonest, though. It, but I don't know that it is. Well, that notion is. Like, is take whatever good you have, regardless of the negative in your face and run with that. Yeah, well, like, so you got several bend, things. You got, bend this you scenario got, You got morality, own... ethics, justice. <laughs> all right. I, and, like, they're all interrelated. Yeah, this conversation is way off the fucking rails here. Okay. Uh, I think we should bring it back around the Better Call Saul. If anybody wants to write in and tell you you're a racist, I encourage them to. Uh, <laughs> you but, fully support that. But we should probably get back to the episode. Thanks for the recommendation. Okay. He continues, so the name changes because he's running from anyone. It's to help him seem like a more attractive lawyer to potential criminal clients. All this comes up during the run of Breaking Bad. Um, Here's a quote from the original Better Call Saul. Uh, He says, speaking to Walt, who's going under the name of Mayhew, because he's supposed to be Badger's uncle, he Mm -hmm. says, Faith and Begora, a fellow potato eater. My real name's McGill, the Jew thing I just do for the homeboys. They all want a pipe-hitting member of the tribe, so to speak. Which certainly seems racist. Yeah. Um, but that's Saul Goodman. Uh, I hope that explains things. Also, I mentioned it's hard not to pass the character and fitness portion of the bar exam as long as you disclose any past crimes for your application and get a record, a letter of recommendation saying that you've completed all probation requirements and I've been employed for a while with no issues. I can vouch for this personally because, boom, as a lawyer, in as a youth, was into computer hacking and had quite a few black marks huh. on my record. All right. Cool. Um, cool. <laughs> Free, free Kevin. What is it? Mitnick. Yeah, sure. Mitnick. Mm-hmm. Just uh, free Kevin. Free Kevin. That was the, the sticker that was going around. So, assuming Ke- uh, Chuck was able to plea down to Chicago crime to something reasonable, Jimmy would have no trouble becoming a lawyer. I like that we now have a lawyer and we have a criminal lawyer. All right, writing yeah. into the show. Might need him for this season of House of Cards. We'll see. Ooh, that'd be awesome. That's it drops <laughs> this weekend, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be covering that. We're in gonna have spectacular fashion. We're we're going all out on it, Matt F. Uh, so. there's there's a lot of assumptions in there. Um, yeah, there is some solid data. Yes. in there as well, some solid, like yes, this was set on screen, but there are a lot of assumptions in that. The devil's instance, in the details. Yeah, the way that the Saul, that Jimmy turns into Saul Goodman is still very much up in the air. Uh. Like like we've said before, I don't I don't think it is him trying to hide because that's a bad disguise. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily have to be. It doesn't have to go down exactly the way he's saying. I yeah. I mean, there could be a a lot of reasons that he does it. I think this outline is 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 very plausible. But I also think there's a lot of details, and that's what we're talking about. A lot of assumptions, but yeah, it's it's a good timeline. And also, it's not just that. It's like. How do you emotionally and mentally get from Slippin' Jimmy mm-hmm. to Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman? Sure, that that's the interesting part, right? The the bribe at the beginning of this is one piece in that puzzle. Uh, the uh, Six Spice Girl, Mel H. Fun fact. <laughs> I thought it was Mel B, but okay. <laughs> no, this is the sixth. Oh, the sixth one, okay. The yeah, unheralded yeah. one, mm-hmm. unfairly. 
says, hey guys, in this cast for episode three, you wondered why Jimmy would rip up a check for 26K if he's so desperate for money. I'm not sure if my insight applies at all, but here it goes. I used to be a bank manager, and if we were seeking legal action against a customer who was delinquent on a loan, our first step was to stop accepting any payments from the customer. So I'm hearing that if I want to stop paying my bills, I just get into a dispute with my bank, and they'll stop accepting my payments. I think, yeah. seems like an airtight plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to be my lawyer, Mel H., send an email to bettercastall at baldmove.com. Um, if a bank teller mistakenly accepted a payment of any amount, it would nullify our legal action completely. I'm not sure if it works the same way in Jimmy's scenario, but if trying to sue Chuck's firm for the entirety entirety of Chuck's worth, maybe by accepting a much smaller payment of 26000 he would seem to accept the terms from the firm and hurt his own lawsuit. That's actually a good point, because I've heard that that's actually explicit. Like, someone can send you a long form mail... And saying that by signing this check and accepting this payment, you accept the terms of this agreement, and people see the sure. check and deposit it because they're fucking idiots, and then they've got you. Yeah. Now I don't know that it's cut and dry, and you'd have to go to court, but who wants that? So no, I, you're probably right. I think that's a good point, Mel. Anything you'd like to say? No, that seems plausible. Nick said, "Have you ever considered a Better Call Saul could potentially, at some point, quit being a prequel, touch the timeline of Breaking Bad, and then continue to be a sequel?" We've already seen a scene of post-BB breaking uh, Saul in the first episode. It'd be an interesting stunt to pull off. How are they going to go about it? Are they at some point just superimposing, please watch all of Breaking Bad now, thank you, on the screen? <laughs> Probably not. It seems like there's much room for innovation here. Uh, he parenthetically wonders, has any other show done something like this before? After a switch from sequel to sequel, all the chains are off. Suddenly anything can happen to Saul which adds to the excitement for the viewer and to the authors uh, who don't have to think about possible implications for the Breaking Bad timeline. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. So. So they've already kind of done this in some ways. Um, the, we have gone past the timeline of Breaking Bad in the very first shot of the very first episode. Yep. Um, I've heard them say that, yeah, it's not just a prequel. It is... Uh, a postquel. It is everything. I would love to spend the next two seasons getting to know how Saul began mm-hmm. and and leading up and maybe bleeding through to the Breaking Bad timeline. And season three, we jump forward to black and white Saul in Omaha, okay. and maybe him trying to then get back into the game. I think that certainly would be compelling. It could be. Yeah, I Saul doesn't seem to face any challenges as George or whatever his name is in the Cinnabon. Well, we just don't know. I mean, he's, I mean, re- he's looking over his shoulder, but I'm not sure why, because it doesn't seem like he's got, like when he leaves, Walt basically takes care of everything. Of all family business. Yeah. yeah. So yes. he, he might not know that. Um, so that's why he's looking over his shoulder, but like, where does he go from there? I, I don't see a super interesting story that's already crafted. They'll have to make something up. Hmm. And I'm certain they could make something good up. But it would settle a lot of the problems we have as far as, you know, and we've gone back and forth about whether the tension is that important or how you can generate tension. But I can see a post-Omaha Saul being interesting. Yeah, they they would have to fabricate some stuff, but sure. Um, Let's see. Scott W. from Cincinnati, our hometown, says, I thought it was funny in your last cast when you mentioned the Saul story having a tragic ending. Last time I checked, he made off with a ton of cash and is living and working safely in Omaha. I wonder if the residents of the fine city of Omaha considering living there a tragedy. Maybe. He doesn't look happy as the thing. 
Man, I've driven through Nebraska. He's and not even mixing his rusty nails. Like, I I don't mean to offend Nebraskans because I'm from Indiana and a Hoosier ain't better at all. Mm. It, 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 it's probably at best of a, a lateral move. But it seems like your state is boring as shit. <laughs> and for a guy like Saul, it would be it would be hell. It might not be bad for me because, sure. like, my... My dream, honestly, is to buy a fucking X Minuteman three missile silo in South Dakota and turn it into a mansion that no one has access to. I mean, Albuquerque, New Mexico, is not exactly the cultural hub <laughs> Dude, of the oh, states fuck either, you, man. We, <laughs> I thought so too, but Albuquerque is a very. I bet if you went to Omaha, you'd think the same thing. I bet Omaha has more going on than you could possibly imagine. Really, I yes. can imagine a lot if we're keeping the Star Trek. Star I, Wars I, I would have going. thought if you, if you told me there was something going on interesting in Albuquerque, I would have said go fuck yourself. It didn't surprise me. Nothing is happening in Albuquerque. Albuquerque, always Albuquerque is me. the place where Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny turns left at. Sure, that's it. Omaha, Nebraska is probably exactly the same way. It has more going on than you think. I always got a Austin, Texas vibe from New Mexico from from Albuquerque. Really? Yeah, totally. Even before you went there. Uh, not, well, before, sometime between Breaking Bad starting and me going there. I was not surprised that New Mexico was as awesome as it was. Or, I'm huh. sorry, um, Albuquerque. I have, I can't take any kind of... Sure, the rest you know, of New Mexico the, is shit. No, it could be. I don't know. I've got no information. Like, Arizona's really rocking, New Mexico and, uh, or, I'm sorry, Phoenix and... Uh-huh whatever. Keep digging. The other towns. Digging your own to. grave here. <laughs> No, no, you're the, you're no, no, you're the asshole talking shit about Albuquerque. That's not me. I uh, hey man, I totally changed my mind after I went there. There you go. Uh, he says I am on the fence with this show. Scott W from Cincinnati continues. My wife is a huge Breaking Bad fan, but she threw in the towel on Saul already. What? Why? I'll stick it out for season one. Villigan has earned that much. Her major issue, like Jim's, was the pacing. One too many rounds of Tuco negotiation. One too many repetitive calls to Nacho. Yep. One too many Erman Trout parking sticker gags. Yep. Your SNL analogy was spot on. Too many scenes felt like one minute bit stretched out to five. My prediction is that Saul will find a way to help the Kettlemans get off the hook while helping them hide their money from the feds and from Nacho. He'll come to realize he can offer his clients a service the HH and M never could. It was his first step in the show's version of the Mr. Chips of Star- Scarface transformation. Jimmy's road from criminal lawyer to a criminal lawyer. Keep up the good work. When are you going to have a Cincinnati get-together? Whenever. Whenever the to, snow stops summer. falling. We ought, to, we ought to go to, what's that, that br- Blue River Brew Pub? It's there oh, right yeah, off, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, U- mm-hmm. is it US 50? I don't, I don't know what road that is. It's right Great on the river. beer selection, yeah. and they have this truffle mac and cheese. It's good. That sounds like it's super snooty, but it's like eight bucks and it's amazing. They have some fries with weird ketchup. Yeah, like they, a yeah, flavored... they got the. It's okay. I, I'm not a huge and, fan of the yeah frou frou ketchup. I'm gonna bring a bottle of Heinz if I ever go. They have a massive selection of of liquor. They do of 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 beers. Really, we should. And they got an outdoor patio, so we could pick a nice day and just like uh, have a have a great and a view of the Ohio River. This is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> But we can work something out. So yeah, we'll 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 get something. Keep, uh, look look for something like more in the May, June, July, August time frame. Okay. Shep, our old buddy Shep wrote in, mm-hmm. and I wish I could do like a Tuscan Raider sound effect because that's his avatar. Oh, on the forums. Oh, no, I can't do it. 
Uh, when Mike reveals to Jimmy that he was a cop and tells him about the Super Bowl bookie, he says that he's dead in the Jersey Pine Barrens. Perhaps this was a nod to the Sopranos episode by the mm. same name, of Pine Barrens. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode was one of the best and most hilarious of the series. It had nothing to do with a bookie on the run. But being a native New Jerseyan, I can tell you that the Pine Barrens are not too far from Philly. The Barrens also serve as an origin for the Jersey Devil. Is mm. Mike the Jersey Devil? I think so. Is are so. we going to have a Pine Barren connection here eventually, or is this another pop culture reference that Gilligan is weaving in? Because that's what I'm leaning toward. Yeah, in 2002, that's early season Sopranos, right? Pro- I don't know what year the Sopranos came out. Hmm. Couldn't tell. I don't. You. I couldn't tell you either. It's early 2000s, mm-hmm. but it, is it 2000? I could believe it. It might from... be 2000. Really might be 2000 you know you could google that we could but we're reading the next email all right let's do that uh anisa said so i know i'm late and wrong with this theory probably and tonight's episode may even debunk it but i have a theory about jimmy and kim i think that kim is actually the lawyer that gets jimmy out of his legal trouble that we see in the flashback or at least she plays a big part in it she was a the the second chair so to speak Mm -hmm. i think she either worked with jimmy's brother on the case or may have been the one that found out all about the magical legal loopholes that Jimmy was talking about her help on the case may not have been all above board, which could be why she picked was picked on uh, to be one of the lawyers in the law firm, a favor repaid by Jimmy's brother for her help and why Jimmy keeps asking her to do things that she is now uncomfortable with doing. For example, Jimmy starts to ask her something when she takes her cigarettes and she cuts them off and says, no, then Jimmy asks for her help again in the Kettleman case, which she mysteriously says mysteriously says, even if I wanted to, I couldn't or something to that effect. Perhaps she helped Jimmy out of his own legal trouble in Chicago in a not-so-legal way, but now doesn't want to risk her career for him or can't for some reason connected to that. I also think the cigarette scene and the scene where Jimmy calls her early in the morning because he is internally conflicted about the Kettleman situation suggests not just a sexual relationship, but two people who are close, who have known each other for many years. They have a comfortability with one another that I've never seen Jimmy have or Saul have with anyone else. I do think it's interesting that she's not in Breaking Bad and never mentioned in Breaking Bad that I remember. What happened to Kim? Could whatever happened to her be the thing that sends Jimmy to the dark side for good? The thing that creates Saul Goodman? Um, what do you think about any of those takes? That is a perfectly that is another perfectly plausible explanation for how they know each other and uh, you know how Jimmy becomes Saul. Something happens to Kim. Yeah. Who who knows? Because that's the thing. Like, there's so far having him teeter totter between having this core of an ethical good guy, but more and more yeah. succumbing to bad judgment and bad ethical calls. Yeah. But eventually, he's got to become Saul, where he just doesn't give a fuck. Yes. Like and first I, consultation, you should murder your associate. My feeling is they might be rushing that. Depending on how long they want the series to go, they might be rushing that a little bit. Because I didn't think we would get to him being so flip-floppy on that immediately. Who knows what they have to expect? Like, Yes, certainly. This, it, it could be telling that Vince Gilligan's announced that he's going to essentially peace out season after this season. What if we're like way off the mark and season one is the cliffhanger, they kick it back to the Omaha Saul, and now it's all future, who knows what's going on? I suppose that could be the case. Uh, I feel like that would be starting over at season two. That would be like starting the show over again. Eh, I don't know about that. You still got the characters and kind of the look and tone. And I don't think yes, he can stay. But... I don't think he can 
stay in Nebraska. But because nothing happens in Nebraska. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think they'll do that. I think that would be a crazy thing to do. And I'm not saying they couldn't make it work. I'm just saying it's it's weird. I mean, it could be like like Frazier. Like Frazier started in Boston and ended up in Seattle. Like I could see uh, this as being a more entertaining version of Boston Legal. Like Jimmy go, uh, Saul goes to Boston and forms his own legal firm. And with William becomes, Shatner. Yeah, with William Shatner, uh, of course. And Kim. As his father. Yep. Uh, and Chuck's still there, and he plays an eccentric lawyer, and and mm-hmm. Kim's there, and she's the so, the moral. I mean, there's like so many ways they could go with the show. I'm only half joking, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could see the appeal of like really throwing us for a loop and be like, season two is just going to be like table turned over, motherfuckers. Th- that's what it would be if they did that. Yeah, it would so. be a table turning event. Uh, 1999. No shit. Wow. 99. Okay. 2007. Yep. Damn. Man, it's been off the air for a long time. If you'd held my feet to the fire, it'd have been like three or four years ago. They skipped a few years, too. They skipped uh, 2003 and 2005. No mm. Sopranos. Hmm. Uh, New Yorker Al says, you might be wondering if there's really people who think they're allergic to electrical energy. I have an in-law who claims she is. Oh, my God. You have my sympathy, New Yorker Al. <laughs> they moved to West Virginia near a large space radio telescope. The community there does not allow cell phones because they interfere with the readings. They have a refrigerator and oven, not in the kitchen, but in a separate dedicated area. Her husband, though, is not allergic. Allergic. I would submit that his wife is not allergic either. <laughs> I was one time sitting next to her with her cell with my cell phone on, and she did not sense it. Later, when she saw it, she could said she could ah, she could feel an energy from exhibit it. Exhibit A. Boom. In the evidence. Yeah, get her get her on a double blind test. All yeah, I'm saying. yeah. Get James Randy involved. He'll take he'll take care of you. That sure. Sucks, I agree. Man. I agree. This guy thinks that he is allergic to EM. It's EEM radiation. It's a weird thing because it seems like I know, and there are like there are people with chemical sensitivities, and there are people with like fibromyalgia and all this stuff. Uh-huh. But there's also a lot of people that claim they have that shit. Yeah. Like, like a psychosomatic. Back when of... I was in the cult, one of the kingdom halls I went to in Cincinnati uh, was famous for having an old lady who said that she would go into like anaphylactic shock if she smelled perfume or cologne or even deodorant. So they eventually built her a little separate <laughs> observation chamber from the main halls with a like a glass wall. The interesting thing is, after she got that special treatment. Like half, like a dozen people came down to the same thing and swore they had the same problem. I want a booth because they wanted to get in the aquarium. That's it. They wanted to get in the aquarium with her because it was an attention thing. I would have done it and then just put on deodorant, and gone in there, <laughs> dropping a stink bomb on y'all, <laughs> killing you. No, it's it's insane. Well, it's fucking sure. Insane. I, no, that that's what it is, right? There is no condition in the DSM that is electromagnetic radiation aller- allergies, but there is a condition where people think that they are allergic. Uh, on the other hand, Seth T says, as a heads up, they're doing the Insider podcast again for Saul, still with Kelly and the Villigan, along with others, which I've listened to a few. It's not my cup of tea. Um, I have a hard time following it when it becomes six or seven people laughing or talking over each other, and it drives me kind of crazy. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that works when you're in the room, but not on a podcast. Yeah, and 
it sucks because a lot of the times I really enjoy it and then it kind of drives me crazy. But moving on, I don't want to start any shit with Kelly. Um, uh, he Too says late. that they mentioned that Chuck is quote unquote allergic to electricity and it is not mental. Um, they're they're wrong. They're they're flat out wrong. Right? Are they like, wrong? Or they, they are just... in our reality? Are they not? Are I they think, not in the universe that is our universe? I submit that the person that shot this episode, uh, one Mr. Colin Buxey, mm-hmm. is of the opinion that this is a psychosomatic disorder because okay, it's shot with him having this extreme reaction to these things. And then you got to a normal person who is kind of the view, viewer's point of view, and it's just a man running around in a silver robe. Yes. And that to me tells me that whatever they say on the podcast and who never knows with what level of ironic detachment i i just can't accept this guy's literally allergic to i mean the reason you don't accept it is the same reason you don't accept the plane crash because this is based in a reality that we know yeah it's not a fantasy it's not lord of the rings or there are conditions that are and are not real or taking colloidal silver like it's like it either works or it doesn't it either has a pathology or it doesn't this doesn't have a pathology no so I, Vince can say whatever he wants. I'm not going to, I'm believing what I'm seeing with my own eyes, which is this guy, Saul's not taking him seriously. We as the viewers, when we're given a POV to represents us, don't take him seriously. It's a comic sure. relief thing, which is fine. People now, can go crazy. People can believe yes. crazy things. And they do. And it's, it's its own sickness. Mm-hmm. So I'm not unsympathetic to a person crippled by this thing. It's just not a biological thing. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I I think one thing that they could do to say it definitively is have some physical manifestation of his allergies. Like if he came back and he had boils all over his body. Although those can be psychosomatic as well. Sure, they can, yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. Pablo L., This uh, this is the guy we're gonna have to talk off the cliff for this episode, I think. Okay. Uh, he, he says, can Gilligan stop insisting on showing us a horrible depiction of the young... No, this is not the one. The young depiction of uh, young Bob Odenkirk. That's where my complaint for this week ends. I don't have a problem with young Jimmy. He's got a mullet and young, he's got a lot of makeup Jim- on. Oh, oh, he's saying, like, actually how he looks. Yeah, he, he doesn't look it's, any it's younger. Gross. Oh, okay. Well... I'm He's with 54 you. 54 years I had, old, I man. had this complaint. I have. A, I especially have this complaint with Mike because Mike looks like he's 90 years old, whether it's 2002 or 2009. Uh, yeah, yeah. At some point, I'm going to also have to get over that. He says, if you, you want to detach yourself from Breaking Bad, the more you see Better Call Saul. Jim is inher- Jimmy is inherently goofy. Jim is too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Everything to Odenkirk's expressions, uh, from Odenkirk's expressions down to the way he delivers his lines, screams comedy. However, it'd be a great disservice to detach the two shows. The residue that is left over from Breaking Bad seeps through the show, and you can't help but have it in the pit of your stomach as you watch. Oh, I'm allergic to that. (laughs) (laughs) The show works beautifully. Seeing Jimmy show more of his savvy inclination and criminal activity is satisfying, as well as him pointing out all the holes in Nacho's plan was great. I've come around. Sure, we know Saul's fate, but we don't need to feel bad for Saul. Like Walter White, this is a journey, and we are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Totes agree. Doug L., our resident, uh, to my knowledge, non-criminal attorney, non-criminal lawyer, okay, said this leaks episode has a classic trademark dispute, and I thought it would be worth giving a little primer here. Um, 
One of our last Blue Yonders was a lengthy conversation with a lawyer about IP law. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was episode 74, 75, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not I'm I'm a little more educated than the average Joe about this, but I thought what he said was a good a good primer. Um, people often confuse patents, copyrights, and trademarks, but the three could not be more different. Yep. Patents protect technological innovations for 20 years. After that, the law assumes tech has moved on. Copyrights protect creative works, books, movies, plays, video games, etc. for 120 years before they become public domain, a.k.a. the uh, Disney the, the Mickey Mouse can never enter the public domain law. Mickey Mouse law, yeah. Fucking assholes. <laughs> Trademarks, however, last as long as the businesses that belong uh, to keeps using them. They protect slogans, jingles, logos, anything that a customer or a consumer would use to identify the source of a product. Jimmy's co-opting H&M's colors, logo, font, and basically everything about their ad is a classic trademark infringement. Jimmy mm-hmm. is correct that any individual component of the ad is not necessarily infringing, such as three rectangles, the font, certainly not his name. Taken as a whole, however, anything copying, the copying is obvious and a judge made the right call. Could he get away with it as satire? I don't know. It says generally courts look at nine factors determining whether the trademark has been infringed. Uh... A, strength or distinctiveness of the two competing marks. B, similarity of the marks. C, are the goods and services underlying the marks similar? D, channels of trade. For example, consumers of one business in Oregon are unlikely to encounter the other's customers in Alabama. Here, they're both in the ABQ. E, the newcomer's intent. Note, good faith is not a defense. F, evidence that consumers actually are confused. G, gap bridging. Evidence that the holder of the original trademark was planning to get into the newcomer's line of business. Hmm. H, sophistication of buyers, meaning that if the customers are corporations or the government, they're less likely to be confused than the average Joe. And B and I, the quality of the newcomer's product. Are they tarnishing the original brand? Anyway, hope you and your listeners find this informative. Doug stands ready to answer any of our legal questions. It seems like Saul was fucked on all nine of those categories. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is screwed. Yeah. but Obviously not intending to win this. Uh, so thanks for that, uh, Doug Esquire. Uh, Joe V said, I call that Jimmy will be representing the Kettleman's at least behind the behind the scene basis. This is the guy I wanted to give credit to for his theory. If a potential client ever told me that I was the type of attorney that guilty people hire, my instant response is hell yes. And they'll be walking out the front door with me after trial. I'd follow that up by telling them that they could have a thousand lawyers in their case if they wanted. And if they didn't want me as a lead attorney, their money is well spent by having me under the case to work magic elsewhere. I see Jimmy helping them attempt to launder their money, maybe in some laser tag, or ultimately his involvement will upset his relationship with Kim and lead Jimmy further down the slippery slope of shady dealings. Sure. I like that theory. Yeah. I like the laser tag. I like the horns of dilemma with Kim. Mm-hmm. Horns of a kalima. Uh, JJ. JJ is the one we have to talk off a ledge. Are you ready? Sure. Are you ready to give a young man some help? I Yeah, why not? I want very much... Slipping JJ. For better to call Saul to be a great TV show, and this week's episode has me concerned. Four episodes in, the Villigan keeps creating plots that are simply not plausible. Just look at the cold open. The scam Jimmy is running has too many problems to be viable. First, it requires about $1,000 of seed money, money that is really at risk. I bet at least a third of the time the dupe would simply take the $1,000 and leave Jimmy with the worthless Rolex. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what I, I do. The Rolar. The Rolox? The Rolox. <laughs> I, like many people, would prefer a grand in the hand to having or selling a pawn yep. or, or sold Rolex. I'm with you. I have this to say. 
you're not thinking scammy enough. There, that thousand dollars is counterfeit. I bet you any amount of money. Could be. I bet you a thousand counterfeit dollars that that's a counterfeit wallet. Yeah, because you're right. That's that's stupid. But you're not think your your mistake is you're not sinking low enough. Mm-hmm. You have to consider that every element of the con is a lie. He continues, second, the dupe has to have enough cash in his pocket to make the scam worth running. Also, the dupe has to be willing to offer it to Jimmy. Again, I bet that happens less than half the time. I grant you that. Now, Jimmy can increase his odds by kind of being aware of that type of person and striking up a conversation, friendship, getting the guy drunk, getting him to flash his cash. Sure. Yeah. But this is kind of scam artist 101 stuff. He says it's an implausible scam and it appears that Better Call Saul is full of implausible events. It's still a mediocre show by Villigan, but the Villigan far surpasses most of what's on TV, so I'll keep watching. I Yeah, I think that um, if I'm talking you down, I think that structurally this show has far fewer problems in the last two episodes than the first two episodes. Yeah. And that I would suggest that some of these things you find implausible might be because you're just unfamiliar with how to the extent that these scams are run and by the criminal element. Okay. Like, I, I mean, yeah, if the, if the money is counterfeit, that's a surefire way. Sure. Yeah, like, so, okay. So what the you guy doesn't take ID, the watch cheap wallet and yeah. five bucks worth of, and it's a dark, it's dark. Sure. The guy's drunk. Uh, yeah. I, if the money is counterfeit, there is no risk in this, in this thing. Yeah, and even if you every other night you only get clear five hundred dollars, you're right. It's it's even Jimmy is dismissive of the idea. It's it's beer money. Yeah, it's something you do, and like you're not going to be all the time successful. And sometimes you're going to be super successful, but it's not a huge amount of money. It's not something you can rely on. Sure, and, and I would bet the money might be counterfeit because you're if, right. If it's you look way at like too big of a risk, like look at like David Blaine's magic specials. Right, half the time he goes in there, he guesses the wrong card. Or or half the time people say you're not floating. I see your other foot is on the ground. Right. Uh, that's just the stuff that they cut out. Sure. Those are the failures that they don't show you. Right. Uh, they're showing you the one time that it succeeds here. So yeah. yeah, the money's probably fake. Yeah. There is. I mean, there's just tons of. It's. I'm amazed at how easy people are to scam because surprising. Yeah. Like it. I mean, we. Oh my God. At my old job. Um, we, we're, we, we ran like several hundred convenience stores. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the bane of our existence is fucking Western union scams. And All we right. would have like just fake, they would money call wires. like at two o'clock in the morning and pretend to be a Western union agent troubleshooting the, the terminal system. that there's, yeah. there's, there's a problem with this store. Could you input the following numbers in for us so that we can kind of get a, a test transfer to do yeah. an in the end test. Uh-huh. And then they would bully the person. They'd be like, look, you are going to be fucking in trouble. Like, when as soon as your business opens, you're going to have the world come down on it if you don't do this. Like, our system's down. You are in breach of contract. And this is a person getting, like, barely above minimum wage. Yeah, they're probably, like, 19. But every once you get the superstar cashiered, it's like, oh, there's only one way I would authorize this transfer, and that's if name of our COO himself <laughs> called us. Well, guess what? 15 minutes later, another store two states away got a call from the COO authorizing transactions like, Jesus, people are so stupid. People uh, are so fucking stupid. Yeah, I, I have an instance of this where I got uh, swindled. I was working at Walmart, 
back in the electronics department. Guy comes in and does the shortchanging operation. Yeah, it's. I thought nothing of it. I thought, oh, okay, well, I, I thought I gave him the right change. Sure. And no. I'm I'm very good at math. The yep. Basic math like that, yep. I'm very good at it. And he got me. It's a magician thing, man. It's surprising it's, it's how easily of hand it happens. And and hacking our biological wetware, and it's yeah. surprisingly effective. Yeah, it's surprisingly effective. I can't even tell my story because it involves a a hooker, country. some blow, it involves some uh, a donkey. There, there's a mildly <laughs> illegal activity. I couldn't go to the police afterwards. Well, you got, after the mics go <laughs> off here, you're going to tell me this story. Certainly, I will. I might have already told you the story. All right. Um, what's hilarious is my <laughs> my the co-host of the Jersey Shore podcast, yeah, Tricky yeah. Nikki, specifically warned me against this type of scam before it happened. Before it happened, when oh, I went no. to this country. <laughs> He's like, this is how you want to avoid it. And the <laughs> scam was so fucking slick, I fell for it anyway. God wow. damn it. Wow. Anyway, if you'd like to give us some more feedback, if you need, if you got a ledge that you need to talk us off of, we're there for you. Better cast Saul. Mm-hmm. Better cast Saul at baldmove.com. You can also follow along with our show threads and our forums on forums.baldmove.com uh, and on facebook.com slash baldmove. What the hell? Uh, tweet at Jim at baldmove and also uh, subscribe there. Follow us on bald on uh, Twitter if you want to stay up with our latest releases. We do need them iTunes reviews. Gotta say, yeah, we could use after them. Buzz is like nipping on our heels. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like that. We need them to stay out, the fuck out of our territory. <laughs> um, but we're um, yep. we're really high on Better Call Saul because number one, it's a great show. It's really calm to its it own. has. Yeah, after episode two, I was scared, but it's a breakout hit for us too. It's yeah. I mean, above and beyond that, I'm just really these last two episodes enjoying this show yep. a lot. Yep. So. so we're really happy to see it. Yep. Happy, happy. You know, it's always nervous when you take a season one, episode one risk on something. And it's always gratifying when that pays off. So sure. thanks for everybody who has left us reviews and helped us claw our way to new and notable. Keep it up. Yep. Uh, we'll be back next week with Jello, <laughs> which may be our last O themed episode. I'd be here curious I to hear so. what you guys think about that. Yeah. Um, is it a cop out? Is this going to be an end of an arc? Do we go to Nebraska or on they, episode six? <laughs> are they going to change like the official air title to something else? Is it going to be in the, in O after episode six? Oh, Is maybe. this going to be kind of like the pink teddy bear situation that the O episodes all have a theme that the other ones don't have? Is he just going to add dash O to the end of every episode? <laughs> Hawaii five O. There we go. All right, that's it. There we it. go. That ends in an O as well. <laughs> yeah, here we go. End of the episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back next Wednesday. Uh, And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.